0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: So I think, again, it's just it speaks to the attitude up here in Washington. You have faceless, nameless bureaucrats that dictate policy that should be handled from the congressional level.
0: Happy Cinco de Mayo, Delaney and listeners. We're Tanner and Delaney here to bring you a Friday edition of the Ag News Daily podcast. Are you ready to celebrate, Delaney?
2: Yeah. Do you, are you going to sing a song or are you going to take a shot of tequila or what are you doing there?
0: Yeah, way ahead of you. I already been uh, well deep into that (laughs) bottle of tequila here this morning just to kick the holiday off the right way.
2: That's nice. Well, I'm doing 75 hard, (laughs) so no drinking for me. So you have to take both our shots.
0: Man, 75 day hard. I I feel like you started that 74 days ago.
2: Uh, So do I. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I was actually listening on the radio on the way in here that said Cinco de Mayo started off as, you know, bring snacks and treats and little prizes to share with your classmates. And now it's all just for the adults. So everybody's going to get get their tacos and their margaritas tonight.
2: You know what? Adults should get holidays because they feel like kids get all the other ones. So this one's for us. I like it.
0: That's right. And speaking of Mexico, well, I guess New Mexico in this case. Them in Colorado and a lot of uh, our South Central United States is looking at red flag warnings today. A lot of hot, dry weather in their area. Southeastern Colorado may see um, so sustained winds up to 30 miles per hour. Not too bad, but the relative humidity there, Delaney, is what's causing the issue. Could be below 10%. This red flag warning will take place all day today, expiring at 10 o'clock tonight. But you come up in our area. Nebraska, Iowa, looking at showers and thunderstorms for forecasted for today and possibly into tomorrow, again, watching the area along the Mississippi, that could cause some localized flooding in addition to the water that we've already got. So we'll see if that puts a halt to some planting in our area, but I think some of the farmers could use a much needed day of repairs and uh, maybe a drink to see if these seeds popped out of the ground.
2: Absolutely, Tanner. Big headlines here coming out of us, uh, coming out of Bear and Channel, but Bear announced this morning, yesterday morning, I should say, it's in the process of moving its 10 regional seed brands over to Channel Seed Brand lineup, effective 2025. There's 10 brands that are either statewide or regional that are located in a variety of states here that will move. Over to be more of the channel line, Tanner Seed, channel seed portfolio by 2025. And um, primarily, the companies that they are moving over are ones that sell corn, soybeans, alfalfa, and sorghum. So nothing specialty crop or permanent crop there kind of your primary growing crops there for the Midwest. Um, but they said this is an investment into the channel brand and also into their customers. They said it's not a cost-cutting measure. They're really looking at this opportunity to better serve their farmers.
0: Yeah, I saw that too. And if our listeners are curious, it's junk seed genetics, Kruger seeds, stone seed group, Fontenelle hybrids, Stewart seeds, Lewis hybrids, Hubner seed, Gold Country Seed and Specialty Hybrid. So it doesn't affect ASGRO or DeKalb. And it looks like to me, it's just uh, finally a merger of a lot of the seed companies that were acquired throughout the process. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how that affects our listeners and what it could bring to them as far as uh, additional opportunity. We've also got to keep an eye on Title 42. That Title 42 Act, as you uh, we reported on earlier this winter, was extended and now is set to expire on May 11th. Already, folks at the Rio Grande Valley sector in southeastern Texas are seeing an average of more than 2,000 apprehensions on a day. Homeland Security visited the borders and talked with agents there in the valley yesterday, talking about what the lift on the COVID ban known as Title 42 will do. There is still migrants backed up into Mexico with more than 2.5 million suggested that are going to look at crossing the border once May 11th happens if no additional extensions or modifications are made to this. When you look at what Title 42 is expected to do and lift, uh, the U.S. no longer has the mandatory um, deportation of seized people. Uh, just to use politically correct or maybe not so much politically correct terms. We'll see what Customs and Immigration Enforcements have as they look to increase the capacity of their local shelters. Obviously, this is a current concern to a lot of our Border Patrol folks as they look to maximize the abilities that they have with the limited resources in place. So it looks like This will probably be a headline that gets touched on a lot next week as May 11th is approaching very, very quickly.
2: We had big news yesterday coming out of China as they have approved their first gene edited commodity, that being soybeans. Now, this is different than GMOs. The, the technology of gene editing is considered less risky by China and is a little more lightly regulated in some countries. But gene edited soybeans would include those soybeans that have introduced foreign genes into the plant through editing existing genes that already live in the plant. But this is a big move here for China as they are looking to, they said, boost use science to boost food production. And so this safety certificate that has been approved will last here for five years, starting April of 2023 until April of 2028, according to a document published last week by the Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Affairs. This soybean specifically that they allowed into the system here was developed by a privately owned company, Shandong Sunfang Biotechnology, that has two modified genes, significantly raising the level of healthy fat oleic acid in the soybean plant that has been approved. Just the first step here, Tanner, in hopefully a long list of future gene edited crops that are going to be approved by China, but certainly makes it a little easier for those countries that do grow and produce quite a bit of gene edited or GMO crops to hopefully seeing larger trade allowances in the future.
0: Well, Delaney, the Business Insider picked up a conversation that's being had throughout the American Trucking Association and its members. So the American Trucking Association is a non-profit organization that represents nearly 150,000 trucking businesses throughout the United States. Executives at J.B. Hunt recently sounded an alarm about a freight recession. So, Americans and the trucking association that serves them is looking at a possible freight recession that would be gripping the United States and cause maybe an issue for goods to be delivered. They're targeting Memorial day to see if freight market rates will pick up and if levels of transportation will continue to increase. Stating here, the association says this has been a tough quarter on a lot of business carriers. As far as that goes, J B hunt was the ones that sound sounded the alarm because their first quarter and fourth quarter, 22 earnings were below targets. As the industry gauges uh, signaling a slowdown, this might be something else the Fed continues to keep an eye on. The pullback is hitting just due to a lot of different things, kind of the same that our farm and ag producers are talking about commodities such as diesel and labor is causing it a difficulty for some of these trucking franchises to be able to perform. But as you look at what this could do to the economy ultimately if there's a freight recession that hits this means fewer trucks are able to deliver goods across america which we'd hate to say it might bring back in a covid like shortage on some of the supplies don't think it's time to go out and buy your toilet paper just yet but they will continue to watch and monitor this obviously trucking has always been cyclical says the association Capacity will leave in droves and demand will recover, then pricing returns and capacity comes back. But for the short term, the association is looking at compiling resources to help companies move forward. They looked here at the tonnage index dropping 6% in March, hitting the lowest level since August of 2021. So another topic we'll probably continue to report on next week.
2: Well, one topic we've been following pretty heavily has been the carbon pipeline initiatives going on here in the state of Iowa. And we saw a big move as the court has ruled, it is unlawful for pipeline surveyors to go on private lands without compensation or permission. This was ruled by a district judge in the state of Iowa on Wednesday that it was unconstitutional for pipeline companies to enter private land to survey without compensating landowners. One of the three companies, Navigator CO2, was sued by Clay County landowner Martin Koenig, who refused to allow Navigator onto his property to conduct site surveys. He and his attorney went ahead and filed a claim to ask the company to stop entering his land without permission or without compensation. And the Iowa district judge ruled that, in fact, it was unlawful for Navigator to do that. Navigator responded, of course, to that, Tanner, and said that they were going to be continuing to take it up with the next level of courts, as they said that there are existing precedents that allow companies like this to be able to Survey without landowner's permission or without compensation, but certainly not a good PR move for them, if nothing else.
0: No, I mean, I could totally see the without permission thing. I would certainly want to know if somebody's stepping on my property, but uh, if it's research for a project, I could see the without compensation part. So I'm sure we'll keep an eye on that. Just like you said, a couple of uh, quick hits coming out of Russia-Ukraine obligation. It looks like Russia mercenary groups are withdrawing out of Bakhmut. They are stating here it's due to a lack of supply of ammunition and other military supplies. The Wagner boss launched this tirade uh, against the Russian leadership yesterday, standing in front of bodies, which he claimed were his fighters that had been killed. So this withdrawal may be a turning point in favor of the ukraine military the wagner chief says his forces are dying as russia's military leaders are sitting like fat cats and not providing support however on the ukrainian side they're seeing a a little bit of an issue with the US provided rocket systems because Russia has figured out a way to jam the communication servers and complicated their efforts on launching those. It seems like uh, even though the high technology rockets are able to provide an extreme impact, Ukraine is unable to effectively use them because of Russia's defenses. So a couple of quick headlines there. Again, that's a topic that we'll probably hit on quite a few times here in the future of this podcast, but interesting to keep our finger on the pulse of what's happening across the seas.
2: Absolutely, Tanner. And I think the only other headline I have here is a little bit of a playoff of yesterday's discussion about meat consumption. Uh, According to a new study by the USDA, over a quarter of U.S. states aren't livestock friendly. What does that mean? Well, it means that according to the USDA's Economic Research Service, 14 states across the country have implemented state-level policies that address animal welfare and make it more difficult for livestock producers to be able to raise their products. Uh, pork, veal, and eggs are the three primary focuses of this report. And the report went on to share that by 2026, 10 states will ban or restrict the use of gestation crates, which of course allow a uh, mother sow there not to roll over onto her pigs and a couple of other things. But folks are concerned about the animals' limited movement. On the veal side, eight states currently have banned veal crates or will be banning them here within the next year or so which will affect about 13% of the U.S.'s veal production. And on the egg side of things, movement concerns among layers have 10 states implementing minimum space requirements or banning battery cages altogether. By 2026, these restrictions will affect about 16% of egg layer operations, Tanner, which is up up from the 5% number that were impacted pre-2022. So, A lot of concerns. I think we're going to see a lot of court cases as we move forward here, especially as we still haven't seen what happened or what is happening with California's Prop 12 that could potentially set a precedent for how states govern these types of issues moving forward. But uh, definitely something for our livestock producing listeners to be aware of.
0: Yeah, most certainly. A couple quick hits and then a Friday article to wrap up my news for today. The U.S. labor market is heating back up, added 253,000 new jobs in April. The unemployment rate fell from 3.5% to 3.4%. But right now, a Kentucky family is dealing with the leftovers, unfortunately, after a farmer's suicide is putting them into financial peril. So a massive fraudulent cattle scheme, allegedly orchestrated by a Kentucky cattleman, left a dozen investors and a prominent ag lender out of $100 million after the his family is now facing financial peril. The USDA stated here yesterday, According to their notification system that anybody who sold livestock to and has not received payment from businesses operated by Brian McClain of Benton, Kentucky, is prompted to file dealer trust claims. McLean Farms, 7M Cattle, Feed Feedyard, Inc. have all filed bankruptcy petitions with the U.S. Bankruptcy Court in the Northern District of Texas. McLean's scheme allegedly dates back six years when sources uh, looked at the anonymity and the nature of the allegations. He began seeking investors in his cattle operation and guarantee of a 30% return, which we all know is highly skeptical in the world of livestock. McLean's lender was Rabo AgriFinance, which became suspicious in early April. Said the inventory of cattle on paper was 88,000 head, and that scheme unraveled quickly when Rabo Agri Financial officials were only able to inventory check just shy of 10,000 head of live animals. McLean's death on April 18th provided an instance to where all parties were able to start their investigation. So, in a notice, like we said now we need to watch what unpaid sellers might get they have to act quickly as the law requires the claims must be filed within 30 days of their payment due or within 15 days after payment instruction was issued so the claim amounts will yet to be determined but we'll continue to watch that of course this is a protected party under the packers and stockyards act of 1921 but we'll continue to watch what story like uh, features roll out of this claim in the future. So that's what I've got for today, Delaney.
2: Absolutely, Tana. Let's hop into the markets here before we take some words from DC regarding WOTUS in particular. In the overnight markets, July corn added four cents at five ninety-three. This new crop corn will open at five thirty-one and a quarter, up two and three-quarter cents in the overnight. July soybeans will clock in this morning at 1425 and a half. November new crop beans added two pennies in the overnight to open here this morning at 1270 and a half. And lastly, hard red winter wheat is also continuing the upward move following the other grain markets here this morning, up five and a half cents to open at 803 and three quarters. Tanner livestock yesterday finished fairly early. Neutral across the board, as we've seen some markets closing a little lower, some a little higher, but no major moves yesterday. June live cattle shed just seven cents at a buck. Sixty one fifty seven. August feeders shed thirty seven and a half cents will open here today at two twenty three fifteen and mainly excuse me. June lean hogs shed eighty five cents yesterday to open today at eighty seven fifteen Tanner, Let's kick things over here to a couple of congressmen and women talking about WOTUS. The first up here is Congressman Mark Alford talking about what a navigable waterway is and what that means for future impact on the farm.
3: Well, we're anxiously awaiting the Supreme Court decision on this. My uh, fellow delegate and chairman of the Transportation uh, Committee, Sam Graves, has been working tirelessly on this Woodus issue. It seems that our government is disconnected from the everyday people. In Cass County, in my district, uh, back in October, we met with a Farm Bureau there, and this guy was almost in tears because the government had come in and shut down a re- rather large portion of his corn field. And he was not able to put it in production that year. And I said, why is it? He says, well, they thought this is a navigable waterway. Uh, They had a drone. Uh, They got pictures of this um, water in the middle of his cornfield. They shut down a lot of production. And I'm hearing this from people all over. Uh, And I said, what did it turn out to be? And he said, my combine had left a rut in the field and it filled up with water. That is what our government considered a navigable waterway. Common sense has left America. We've got to get, hey, I'm all for providing conservation. Farmers are the best conservationists we have. If they don't have land to farm that is uh, viable, that is productive, and that's going to come about with conservation, then they don't have a business model. Why are, Why would the government think that we're, farmers are shooting themselves in the foot? We don't need the overregulation from the EPA and the USDA. We need to get them off the backs of our farmers and let them go about the business of doing business.
0: There you go, Delaney. Next up is Brad Finstad. So he's going to give you the Minnesota common sense test view of what WOTUS looks like and kind of give you an idea as farmers and listeners of the podcast about how this talk is being compared throughout all the discussions in Congress. So let's hear from him.
4: Yeah, so simply put, it doesn't pass the Southern Minnesota Farmer Common Sense Test. Uh, we have created a monster when it comes to the bureaucracy and the way that we govern this country. We have we have governed through rule, rules and regulations versus the legislative process. So you talk to a farmer in Southern Minnesota, and let's say I vote for a Bill X, And if they like it, great, and if they don't, they know they can come right to me and say, you ding-dong, you screwed up on this one, right? Who are they going to go to on WOTUS? They don't know who to go to. It's a faceless, nameless bureaucrat that's that's really dictating the terms of how they're going to live their life and how they're going to run their business and farm their farm. And so we have to get out of the business of just empowering the bureaucrats in D.C. and uh, throughout this country and the administrative state that really has dictated farm policy you know, backdoor through the regulatory process. So, unfortunately, Minnesota wasn't a part of that lawsuit, and we're, you know, again, going to be pitting ourselves with the haves and have-nots. We're putting, uh, you know, undue regulation and burdens on farmers uh, when you go across the border, and you'll see something different right now. So, you know, it's going to come to the point where we in Congress are just going to have to act on these things and just, you know, call a spade a spade and say, all right, you know, why are we doing this and we don't agree with it, so we're gonna pass a law that says it's not gonna happen. Um, and and that, of course, is is not an easy task, but you know, a lot of us uh, feel really called that we're here not to do the easy thing, but to do the right thing.
2: And lastly, Tanner, we've got some comments here from Florida, Congresswoman Catherine Comack, she talks about how WOTUS is never beneficial for growers in any state, especially uh, Florida, as they're surrounded by water on three sides. And she also goes into sharing a little bit about the RAINS Act, which will provide regulation in different forms.
1: I don't think WOTUS will ever be beneficial for my growers in Florida or any state for that matter. I think WOTUS is a gross overreach, truly. Um, My front yard, I live on five acres. My front yard is seasonably wet and would be subject to the jurisdiction of the Federal Army Corps of Engineers. So I think, again, it's just it speaks to the attitude up here in Washington. You have faceless, nameless bureaucrats That dictate policy that should be handled from the congressional level. So WOTUS is going to be a disaster, not just for agriculture, but for industries, building, um, construction, you name it, it is going to be a disaster. So we have to continue to fight it. I'm disappointed in yesterday's vote that we weren't able to overturn. But I'll come back to elections have consequences. We have got to fight really hard, and I know that's not the venue we're going to talk about, but you brought up something very important, which is regulations. And I can't believe I didn't mention it. My team's in the back, uh, Adeline Sandridge and Larry Calhoun. um, I'm really proud to be the author and champion of the RAINS Act. The RAINS Act has been proposed for several congresses, and it is the largest regulatory reform in modern history. It would require that any regulation or major rule That is, a $100 million impact to industry or more come back to Congress for an up-or-down vote before it can be implemented. Think of the 1.35 million regulations we have on the books currently that our producers have to abide by. It, It most of the time doesn't make people safer, the environment safer, the product safer. It just drives up costs. When we have to spend $2 trillion every single year as consumers in regulatory compliance, That's a bad thing. And so this bill is also going to be considered as part of the debt ceiling negotiation. And like I said, it will be the largest regulatory reform in modern history. And you will see me popping bottles as a result because I think that is a little bit of the relief, actually a lot of the relief that we need, whether it's EPA, DOL, um, OSHA, you name it. These bureaucrats need to be held accountable because you can fire your Congress critter, but you can't fire a bureaucrat. Now we get the chance to hold them accountable.
0: Well, Delaney, that's great for our listeners here to wrap up our Friday conversation. I learned stuff in there, especially I didn't even know what the RAINS Act was. So I'm glad that we got some of that information. Listeners, thanks for hanging out with us for a whole nother week. We'll be back again Monday. So we look forward to that. What do you say today, Delaney? Should we let the listeners go?
2: Let's let them go.